Hello everybody, Bradley here, and welcome back into another episode of Let's Dive Deep. Today we are diving deep into the hit Netflix series Bridgerton by taking a look at the season 2 premiere entitled Capital R Rake. Before we get started, it is a good time to warn all, all listeners of this podcast, new and returning, that Let's Dive Deep does contain adult content. For instance, in this episode of Bridgerton, we see Anthony's butt cheeks. And if you don't want to hear me talk about the scene where we see Anthony's butt cheeks, now is a great time to tune out of the podcast. It's also good to note as well that the format of this podcast does not include any spoilers beyond episode 201. I've not watched the episodes beyond 201. I also haven't read the book, so I won't spoil anything past this episode. However, I will be pulling in things from season one because you should have already watched that before hopping into season two. And if you haven't watched that yet, it's an awesome season of TV. You should go do that. But just know that if you haven't, I might be spoiling some things that happened in season one. And finally, before we get started today, if you are enjoying this podcast, make sure to go subscribe and leave those five-star reviews wherever you are listening to this. Additionally, we have a Facebook group that you can join to get my instant reactions to each episode and generally just chat with a bunch of other cool people about the show. That link is in the show notes below. There is also a Patreon that you can check out if you'd like early access to the deep dives, copies of my show notes, and the occasional piece of bonus Bridgerton content. That starts at only two or three bucks a month so I can pay for the hosting fees and everything, and maybe one day I'll I'll be as rich as the Bridgertons are. Honestly, though, does anybody know how they make their money? I have no idea how they make their money. Maybe they do a podcast and have a Patreon. Anyways, that link is also in the show notes below if you would like some extra content and some early access stuff. Otherwise, I think it's time we dive deep into Bridgerton. Diamond, save you some trouble. At least of choosing her. Wooing the peace will be a different story indeed. Oh, I should have no problem there. <laughs> Smoking room, gentlemen. I shall be there anon. Someone there? I can hear you. You. Pardon me, my lord. I never got your name. I was wondering if we'd meet again. So you might discern if my wit is acceptable, my manners genteel. But you were eavesdropping. It was hardly an effort, seeing as you were proclaiming your many requirements for a wife loud enough for the entire party to hear. You take issue with my requirements? I take issue with any man who views women merely as chattels and breeding stock. None of that was meant for you. Viscount Bridgerton, yes. When you manage to find this paragon of virtue, whatever makes you think she will accept your suit? Are the young ladies of London truly so easily won by a pleasing smile and absolutely nothing more? So you find my smile pleasing? I find your opinion of yourself entirely too high. Your character is as deficient as your horsemanship. I shall bid you good night. Oh man, I am so excited to be back in the Let's Dive Deep Bridgerton feed. We've been doing Hamilton, we've been doing Harry Potter, but we are back for Let's Dive Deep Bridgerton. We are here with episode 201, the premiere of season number two. This episode was written by Chris Van Dusen and the story editor was Gatika Lazardi. These names, Chris Van Dusen is the showrunner of Bridgerton, so I'm not surprised he wrote the premiere here. However, IMDb currently, as I'm recording this, has all eight episodes written by Chris Van Dusen and all eight of them with Gatika Lazardi as the story editor. This might just be true and this might be the case. I remember for season one, there were some different writers. Also, most shows have different writers throughout uh, an individual season so we'll see if imdb updates i'm only mentioning this in case in the future if you're listening to this and that proves to be incorrect 
at the time I'm recording this, IMDb has Chris Van Dusen down as the writer and Gatika Lazardi as the story editor. This was also directed by Trisha Brock, and I really liked the direction in this episode, so good job by Trisha Brock. In fact, I really liked the writing in this episode as well, so good job to Chris Van Dusen. Basically, what I'm saying is good job to the writer and director of this episode. Let's get into the score and let's get into the deep dive. All right, my episode score here, a lot of people in the Facebook group are going to kill me because I did my instant reaction over there. Make sure to join the group for my kind of 10-minute instant reactions to each episode. I made a mistake over there. I said that this was in the 8.3 to 8.5 range in my instant reaction, and I believed that at the time. However, I kind of re-looked at the way my score is set up, re-looked at the other. I had misremembered the scores I'd given the other Bridgerton episodes and kind of just checked it on them before this one. And I, I was like, yo, I gave last season's premiere an 8.3, so this one's got to be above that. Really what I did last season is give the premiere a 7.3. <laughs> so in my head, I'd added a whole point point to the score of every Bridgerton episode from season one to kind of base this off of. So I apologize to the Facebook group listeners who are like, wait a minute, you changed your score so much between you know recording your instant feedback and recording this. Sometimes that happens on a second watch when you do all the notes and stuff. Sometimes my score changes. However, I'm going to give this episode an 8.05. What I do believe firmly is that this was much better than the season premiere from last season. Um, so the 7.3 to 8 is a huge jump. And remember with my scale, a 7 is the mark of a good episode of television. Once you're at a seven, there was nothing, there was no pain points. I enjoyed it. I had fun watching it. There's no points where I wanted to leave or turn it off or anything like that. Like a seven is a good episode of television. And once you get above a seven, every point above that is harder to get to than the last one. So most episodes of TV aggregate between 7.5 and 8.5 somewhere. If you're trying to get above that 8.5, you gotta really do some heavy lifting and be an awesome episode of television. I want to reserve the nines, the high eights and the nines for that truly spectacular TV out there. So I'm going to go with an 8.05. Two things I still firmly believe from my instant reaction. A, that this is better than the premiere from last year significantly. And B, that this is in the eight range. I know a lot of the episodes from last season didn't get into the eight range. And I adjusted my score down quite a bit from the instant reaction to accommodate for this. However... I think this is in the 8 range, so I'm going to give it 8.05, and that 0.5 is added just for that scene between Eloise and, and, and Penelope in the flowers at the end. We'll talk about it when we get there, but that scene was off the charts incredible, so I'm adding a 0.5 on just for that scene. And we're going to do Anthony scores this season. If you've never listened to an episode of this podcast before, I'm not a big Anthony fan. I don't read the book, so I know this is Anthony's season because someone told me that, but I don't know what he gets up to. It seems like him and Kate are, are going to end up being a thing and that's kind of what I know about it but I know this is Anthony's season I didn't like Anthony that much and one of the things that I thought the show would really have a hard time doing is convincing me to like Anthony so I really wanted to find a way to to put that in the podcast so we're gonna go with Anthony's score as well uh, I'm gonna give Anthony a 7.8 in this episode I I enjoyed Anthony in this episode so much more than I thought I would, and that is a huge credit to the people that make this show, because I did not think I would. But Anthony, I like his plotline, I like the way, um, I think his name is Jonathan Bailey, I, I could be wrong on that. Uh, the way he, Anthony's acted is very well done, the way he was written this episode was very well done. Uh, I just liked his material this episode and his, his performance, so a 7.8 for me for the Anthony scores. Don't forget to hit up Twitter, Gmail, Facebook group, wherever, to leave your scores for the episode so I can talk about 
about them on this podcast and have a reference point. Maybe it's higher, maybe it's lower. Who knows? But I'd like to hear from you. Before we get into the scene-by-scene breakdown that I always do, there are loads of things that I really liked about this episode. The the general setup of the season was really well done. I am interested in the plot lines and the storylines that this season set up, which is important. I need to be interested in it. Uh, In last season, you know, you had the Daphne and Burbrook thing, and I wasn't really interested in that, and that wasn't, you know, I kind of just wanted the prince to come along because that was more interesting, you know what I mean? So I'm not a fan of first episodes. I'm not a fan of episodes of TV that are just trying to give you exposition and it needs to be done i need to get the exposition and this episode did it wonderfully i I never felt bored by it i never felt like oh my god they're giving me too much information everything i needed to know was in this episode it was a longer episode i think it's 10 minutes longer than a normal episode and every minute felt really well used i didn't feel like there was a ton of waste in this episode at all so just very well set up and it sets up the season really well and i really enjoyed that considering i'm not one who likes pilot episodes that much or i guess not pilot episodes premiere episodes and and I, I just really like this episode. So that's a huge achievement for, for the creators of the show that I like this episode because I was going into it expecting not to because it's Anthony's season and also because it's a first episode and I typically like those less. But I really like this one, so that was awesome. Of course, the costumes, the designs, the sets, the everything were fantastic. There were a lot of clever bits of writing that I really enjoyed. Eloise at the end saying, I love it when looking down at the pamphlet instead of the dress, which Mama Bridgerton is talking about. There's a lot of funny Benedict jokes as well that are... Benedict in this episode is on another level, and I can't wait to talk about it because he's amazing. But the writing for this episode was awesome, and I really liked that... The writing for the main stories was good, and it set it up, but it was also serious. It was a little emotional. It, it covered some things that I'm really excited to talk about. It, all of the characters in this episode, all the main ones, Anthony, Kate, all of them are kind of living in the gray, which is something I really like that we talked about at the end of last season. Um, so I really enjoyed the writing this episode, and, and I like that it allowed characters like Benedict to just be funny and be the comic relief, because we already had so much kind of... We already had so much going on in the rest of the cast that Benedict could just be there for the comic relief without taking away too much of his character. But also he gets that moment with the Modiste. So there's a lot going on here. And the writing was really well done and and paced and spread out amongst the cast. And I just wanted to call it out here. And finally, the last big overarching thing that I really enjoyed was the storyline between mostly Kate. I'll talk about Kate here. I think Edwina as a character is a little two-dimensional at the moment and that's fine because Kate is certainly not two-dimensional at all and that kind of makes up for it and Kate I what I appreciate here is we're kind of skipping the Burbrook stuff from season one and getting into characters in a story that I'm going to be interested in and what I like about that is it's it's There's a lot that's the same. I talked about this in my instant reaction. There's a lot of Bridgerton that's the same. We're going to balls. There's a social season. People are falling in love. People are looking for spouses. People are trying to have 25 kids. All of this stuff, people need chaperones to go on morning rides. All of this stuff is the same. And if too much of your show is the same, then it gets boring. And I do wonder, I do worry that if we go to two balls in every single episode, it's going to wear me down a bit. But for now, we're, we're having a good time. But I just like that... 
that within that that structure, the social season, the balls, the queen, the lady whistled down, within that structure, uh, Kate and Edwina and, and their relationship with Lady Danbury and the reasons they're in the social season, it's all quite refreshing. I'm enjoying that it's, it's just different than season one, and that's great, because if it was too similar, if you had taken the same kind of plot and just kind of replaced the characters in it, I no matter what how good it was, I would have probably not enjoyed it that much, so I'm glad that, and I know this is an adaptation, and I don't know how well they've adapted it from the book, but whether it's in the book or just good ad adaptive choices, it doesn't really matter. I like that there's enough difference in this episode and in these characters to make me feel like I'm watching a new season of a similar TV show without making it feel so similar that it's boring. Now, this episode was not a 10 out of 10, so there were some things I didn't like about it. You know, very nitpicky stuff. Again, once you're above a 7, I'm not going to have a huge list of really important things that I didn't like. There was some green screen stuff that bothered me. I don't know if this was just this episode, or if I was watching it on a different computer monitor, or my phone, or whatever. Uh, but I just noticed that the green screen stuff was a little more obvious in this episode than it was in Season 1. I don't remember ever in a pot, and I could be misremembering it, because I added, well, I'm an idiot. I added one to all the scores. I, remis I, mis I misremember a lot of things. I don't remember ever complaining about the green screens at all or even noticing them but I noticed them in this episode I could tell I could really tell what was green screened and what wasn't and it didn't bother me it didn't take away from my enjoyment but if I'm trying to nitpick if I'm trying to score an episode we're here to analyze it you're listening to this podcast for the sake of that analysis I'm going to say the green screen stuff in general was a little less polished than it normally is or, or, or than I remember it being in this show from season one and also the the other thing that really I don't know if I don't know if it's fair that I don't like it, because I try not to say I don't like things when I don't like what a character's doing, because obviously to have conflict, characters are going to do things I don't like, and sometimes it's awesome. But Mama Bridgerton kind of just seems like, I even for, <laughs> I've been calling her Mama Bridgerton for so long, I actually forget her name. She just kind of seems dumb to me, and that's not the sense I get from her. I like I don't know how to explain it, but in the last season... Her kind of big fatal flaw of the season, her kind of flaw in the story was that she didn't give Daphne what she needed to know in terms of sex and having children and all of that stuff. And that was, you know, a pretty big flaw that led to some things that weren't ideal. But overall, that made sense to me considering the times and considering what was expected of people and all that. At least it made sense to me. But... Mama Bridgerton continuously trying to push Eloise out there as the diamond. She knows it's fruitless. Like, she knows that Eloise is not going to be the diamond. She knows that Eloise is not going to go out there and dance with a bunch of people. She knows that Eloise is not going to be excited going to the dress shop. Yet she just keeps doing it anyway. But also, it kind of seems like she's convinced herself that it's possible. But it's also really obvious that Eloise doesn't need her to do that like she just doesn't want to be compared to Daphne is is kind of really obvious she even says it out loud and Mama Bridgerton just keeps continuing to push that and I get it because she wants Eloise to be successful in the in the stereotypical way that people are successful in this social season however it's a bit odd to me that she just keeps pushing at a hundred percent without taking any of the context clues or feedback into account with her approach it just kind of strikes me as a little dumb and I don't think of Miss Bridgerton as dumb at all, or Mrs. Bridgerton, right? Like, it's just striking me as a little too dumb, and not, not like a real human mother is in this situation dealing with it, and I don't know what I'm trying to say, and I don't even know if anyone will agree with me, maybe this is a really big hot take, but I just kind of fell off 
by her this episode same when she's talking to anthony in the hallway she's like you'll never find love you'll you'll end up alone and on one hand it's like okay like it's easy to say when you had an awesome marriage and you got a love match and and that worked out really well for you right so it's a little bit easier to say there but also like you you already know that anthony was in love with sienna Right, and you were the one in the last season. It was Mama Bridgerton who was really pushing for him to do his duty and to find. And like that's what Anthony is doing. Like I, I just don't really like. I just don't get the sense that Mama Bridgerton is. It, she's kind of coming across as completely out of her depth in this situation, and that's just not the sense I get from her. So I don't know. I don't know what else I'm trying to say here, other than it kind of bugged me a little bit like it didn't bother me it didn't take me out of the episode but if i was if i'm picking nits here i kind of felt like mama bridgerton got a little bit flanderized in the in the simpsons flanderization sense and that they kind of just took that part of her character and accentuated it to the point where i almost felt dumb instead of a really smart concerned mother who is trying to navigate this like lady danbury's doing lady danbury is trying to navigate this whole situation taking in all the context clues listening to kate a little bit there's a lot to work on there's a lot to get through but she's nimbly moving through this Right, and Mama Bridgerton's just like, no, Eloise is going to be the diamond, and Anthony's going to fight. I just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Let's do a scene-by-scene breakdown of this episode, shall we? The opening scenes to this episode are awesome. We get a little bit of a cold open here before the title card plays. We start in the Bridgerton household with everybody. It's, you, need the sibling, you need the sibling shot. I, I think this is the least important scene of the entire episode, and it does not need to be here. And it's really silly, but it's funny, and it works. It's a good kind of establishing scene. We, we all, of course, got all of the establishing shots of the scenery and the buildings and everything to put us back in Regency-era Bridgerton time. Uh, but we okay everyone is lined up outside of Eloise's door and everyone knows that Eloise does not want to do this and so all the siblings are lined up there Daphne gets into the into the room and says she left her husband and kid home for this and they're all just standing there and Anthony goes to open the door and then it opens and Eloise walks out and what I don't like about this scene is that surely all these siblings know that this is not helpful and it's just making things worse. Like, I, I don't think any of the siblings there think their presence is being helpful. I, you need this just to establish that there's lots of Bridgertons. And so this is, this. if I'm talking about heavy-handed exposition, this is the thing I'm talking about. Because this scene makes no sense. All of the characters in the scene know that none of this is helping. This is not even a real thing that I think would happen in this situation. But you just needed to show how many Bridgertons there are. Um, but when Eloise walks out and she's in that outfit, I think she looks pretty good. I think that outfit's pretty cool. And when you first see the hat, you don't realize that later everyone's wearing the same hat. So it looks really goofy with like the long, tall feathers. <laughs> and then Eloise threatens everybody. It's just a fun scene. I enjoyed this scene. It's a good example of heavy-handed exposition that I don't like. But within the scene, it was really funny. And I think Eloise looks pretty good. But it's also good here to establish that Eloise wants nothing to do with this whole thing. Just in case you did not watch season one. If you came across from season one, you already know Eloise and know that she's gonna hate this but if you didn't a lot of people will just hop into Bridgerton they'll log into Netflix they'll see that season two is available and they'll just watch along and that's okay if that's what you're doing I support you in this endeavor um, but it means you need this scene to establish that Eloise does not want to be doing this and that's what this scene accomplishes the Queen and Lady Danbury then talk about the social season upcoming a little bit and I have a few thoughts on this first surely the Queen has something else to be doing 
Surely the queen has some, this is not like 2022 where we are right now, where the queen is like simply just a kind of, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? What type of role is it where someone, it's more for show. They exist for show. They don't have real like governmental responsibilities or whatever. They're kind of just there to exist and still be present and on all of our money. I'm Canadian, by the way, so the queen is on our money. And that's what they do. They kind of just exist, but they're not part of the lawmaking crew that's making all these laws and legislation and like directing the pathway of the countries or anything like that. But in this time, in the Bridgerton era, surely the queen has something better than be doing or better to be doing than exclusively worrying about the social season. But I digress. <laughs> they have a conversation wondering if Lady Whistledown is coming back. And I put in my notes, death, taxes, and Lady Whistledown. Of course she's coming back. Uh, <laughs> it, to me, it's like, okay, have you not watched Bridgerton? Of course she's coming back. If she doesn't come back, what's the fun of that? Like, that makes no sense. You should watch the show Bridgerton on Netflix, and you would know she's definitely coming back. Uh, but yeah, Lady Danbury also establishing herself as somebody who is going to play a bigger role in this season. She's already in there talking to the queen, kind of whispering in her ear a little bit, you know, making sure that her influence is known by the queen. And I like that. This scene is good. We then move on over to the Featheringtons, and there's a lot that happens here. First, we learn that a new Lord Featherington is on his way, and I put, oh, dear, oh, dear Lord, oh, no, I don't need another Featherington, right? Like, the dad Featherington that died by the super poison or whatever, I don't need another one of him. I was pleasantly surprised when later we find out that he seems pretty cool and young and hip and paying the dowry and stuff, so I like this guy when we meet him. But right now, at this point in the episode, I'm like, oh, do we really need? <laughs> hey, do we really need another uh, Featherington? And so that was interesting there. It was also interesting that Daphne was kind of looking out the window to try and see. Because da what Daphne does in this kind of scene here, moving into the where Eloise is going to be presented in front of the queen, is she is writing the Lady Whistledown pamphlet to try and time it so that the queen reads it instead of taking a look at Eloise. So she's looking out the window to try and, to try and make sure that letter's on time. And Miss Featherington says something about... You know, you shouldn't go to windows and look like a common beggar. And then I, I put in my notes, like, look, Mrs. Featherington, like, you you don't get to give advice. You're in an awful situation. You have no money. Later in this episode, you're selling the candlesticks in the, or the candle. What, what do you put a candlestick in? The candlestick holder. The metal thing that you put the candle... Someone will tell me. Someone will email me like, how dare you not know what that's called? The, I don't know what it's called. The candlestick holder. You're selling those things. All right, you have you have bamboozled yourself in such a way is that you cannot give advice to your daughters anymore. I don't think. I think I think it's time we stop listening to Mrs. Featherington's uh, advice. And so that happens in here as well. We move on to the presentation in front of the queen, which is very similar to Daphne's presentation. Everyone's involved. One of the things I noticed was only Eloise got to bring her mother along. Everyone else just kind of went by themselves, or at least their companions, their plus ones weren't announced, which I found interesting. The actress who portrays, I should have pulled up IMDb before recording this, the actress who plays Eloise does a wonderful job here with the nervousness, the walking, making it seem like there's two parts to this. There's not wanting to do it and actually kind of not being good at it. And both of those things are happening. There is a there is room for characters who don't want to do it and are still good at it. And what I like about Eloise here is I can sense her nervousness 
even though I know she doesn't want to do it, it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel causal. It doesn't feel like, hey, Eloise doesn't want to do this, so she's going to be bad at it. It feels like she doesn't want to do this, but she's going out and she's giving it a try. But she's also genuinely nervous about it, and that kind of gets in her head a bit. And it, with the smile and the walk and everything kind of just doesn't quite work exactly how it should. Um, I like the layers there. I like that I can feel and see the layers in Eloise instead of just being like a two-dimensional, I don't want to do it, so I'm going to intentionally suck at it. That's not what's going on here, and I really like that. At some point in this scene as well, Anthony lays down his condition, <laughs> his conditions for a wife, and there's a whole bunch of them. And I, I want to say... I want to say two things about this. First, the conditions are just weird. Weird in 2022, but makes a lot of sense for this time. You know, smart, someone with intellect, someone with hip suitable for childbearing, and half a brain, but then qualifies that the half a brain is, is not simply mandatory. It can be just like on the side if all the other qualifications are met, which is really funny because Benedict and Gregory look at him like, okay, bud, yeah, yeah, yeah okay. You're definitely going to settle for someone with half a brain. And I, I like that the brothers kind of laugh at him a little bit but what i also want to talk about here is kind of how anthony's coming into this season because this will i'll get into this later when i talk about how kate reacts to him anthony's coming into this season i don't know if trauma is the right right word but with baggage right we know as the audience watching season one that anthony simply is not walking into this season and just finding a wife because he wants to, and that's awesome. He has decided it is his duty to do this. He loved Sienna. He was into Sienna. He did that thing. She turned him down. She didn't come to the dance and all that. And now it's his duty to find a wife. And he feels like it's his duty. And that, to me, says so much about his approach. Because it doesn't seem to me like he's the guy to actually believe the things that he's saying, but he's trying to talk himself into it by making... And I, I also want to say, I agree with what Kate says later. I just don't know if I agree with it in the context. However, if I was in this situation in 1800-whatever, and I'm trying to talk myself into the situation, like, okay, I need to go find a wife. It's my duty. I know I'm not going to love any of these people. I already fell in love. Like... If I was doing that, one of the ways I would do it is kind of distance myself personally from the situation, right? Like, instead of, man, I'm trying to say this without saying I agree with this approach. I, I don't know how to word this in a way that's eloquent enough where I can say that I don't agree with the things he's saying, but I don't think he agrees with the things he's saying. And so the approach makes sense to me. He is trying to talk himself into this by almost, I don't want to use the word dehumanize because that's not what's happening, but this is, it's the same kind of thing where instead of viewing all the people as real people who you could fall in love with, if you don't really view them that way, you can't fall in love with them. I don't think he's viewing people this way to be mean or rude or to mistreat people or anything like that. It's simply a coping mechanism based on the baggage he's bringing into the season. And that, I think, is a fun area on this podcast to explore. It's a fun area for the show to explore because it's in the gray. Anthony's bringing this baggage and he's trying to navigate that. And he has no help. Like, his mother is super unhelpful. His siblings are super unhelpful. He's kind of got to figure this out for himself. And he already loves Sienna and, and we know that's not going to work out anymore. And so he's coming into this and by by kind of just qualifying or by, by kind of just listing those base requirements and 
as soon as you go into any kind of human requirements, that's a person you might fall in love with. That's a person you might not fall in love with. But if you just keep it to somebody who's smart, someone who is pretty, and someone who uh, has hips suitable for childbearing, that's enough where you will find a suitable life or wife to fulfill your duty because that is what your objective is. But also, you, your objective, he, his objective here is not to fall in love. So it doesn't surprise me how he approaches this. However, I still don't agree with it. I want to make that perfectly clear. I don't agree with his approach. However, I fully understand based on what's happened in, in season one, how Anthony specifically gets there. And to me, that's good writing and good character work. And I'm happy the show is doing it that way instead of doing it another way, which I think would be less true to Anthony as a character. Gosh, I hope that all made sense because I talked myself in circles there. Let's move on. By the end of this ceremony, Lady Whistledown's pamphlet has made it. Penelope has come in clutch. Eloise is saved from her walk towards the queen to probably not be named the diamond. It didn't look like it was going to go very well. Daphne gives Anthony pretty much like an eat shit on the way out where she says, she says something like, uh, best of luck, brother, you're going to need it, which I find truly... <laughs> hilarious uh, i find it hilarious the second time because now i know we don't see daphne for the rest of the episode which also i should have put that in the things that i liked about this episode is that the show didn't miss daphne if you had told me daphne and the duke were just not going to be in the premiere of season two at all really i would have said oh man that's gonna suck and it didn't at all the episode was great without them not that i still don't miss them and not that i think they they did a poor job as actors or anything just for the show it's good that we didn't really miss daphne or or the duke that much in this episode however her little like good luck brother you're gonna need it i just that's like a nice way of saying eat shit before you leave and go back to your nice house with the duke and your child and all your money and you can like gallivant around and have sex to taylor swift covers again and like that's that's her day-to-day -day. that's daphne's day-to-day -day. she's living the dream we both know we all know now the duke doesn't do any actual work we've all watched season one so daphne's going back to that it's like okay anthony have fun in this quagmire that you're in and that was <laughs> that was so funny to me so i'm glad she did that we start to see that Lady Whistledown's pamphlets are really popular again. Everyone, the the the, the boys are running around the the little the, the pre newspaper delivery boy job, which is I guess Lady Whistledown pamphlet delivery boy. Uh, they're going around, they're handing out the pamphlets. The increased rates are mentioned. And I had this thought. I was like, look, you're all buying. You're, like, these are in groups of three or four, and they're all buying the pamphlet individually. Why don't you just buy one pamphlet and share it amongst you? I I don't believe that people are collecting these or that everybody's collecting these and like framing them or something if you're walking around in a group of four people buy one pamphlet and read it together instead of buying four pamphlets and then you won't even notice the increased prices and you'll only have a 25 percent chance of having to find a place to put the letter when you're done it's a way better system i also really enjoy man i messed up the top of this podcast the, in this scene as well somewhere around here we get our, our first look at how penelope kind of does the lady whistle down thing how she pulls the whole thing off and i don't know what i was expecting however her kind of irish bamboozle where she puts on the irish accent and she convinces the guy at the printer that she is the kind of servant of the mistress whose lady whistled down is so cool that is a fun kind of james bond level thing that's going on here with 
Penelope, and I, that's just cooler. I, I just thought what was happening is she was kind of walking into a shop, and then that shop was printing the letters. Like, that that's lame. And I, I didn't know I wanted backstory about how Penelope was kind of pulling it off. Sometimes if you give too much information, it kind of ruins the whole thing, right? I would have been totally fine if they just never explained it. And I was like, ah, oh, Penelope's figuring it out. That would have been fine. Um, but they gave me the information, and I really enjoyed this Irish... Is she, is she Irish? I feel like her... The actress's name is Nicola Coughlin, I believe. And I believe that's an Irish last name. Is that an Irish last name? Also, I am well aware you can have that last name and be born in a place not Ireland. I just, on the whole, kind of like, you know, um, what's, a, what's, a, what's, a, what's, a, what's a Scottish last name? Uh, you know, like McGonagall from Harry Potter, right? In Harry Potter, McGonagall's Scottish. But I'm aware you could be not Scottish and still named McGonagall. However... It's a Scottish name. It's, it's, it's that, that makes sense to me, okay? I'm not saying that Coughlin cannot be an Irish name. I just think it is. And Irish people who are listening to this are probably emailing me like, no, it's not you, idiot. There's no one in Ireland named Coughlin. But I think she's Irish. And so I think it's cool, if that is the case, that she gets to kind of do her OG kind of accent in these scenes a little bit instead of having to put on a Regency-era kind of London accent. Penelope is also hilariously hiding money in the floor. <laughs> I just put in my notes, classic hiding money in the floor trick. That's never backfired before. Every Why does everybody hide, hide their stuff in the floorboards? If we get a scene, I swear to God, if we get a scene in Bridgerton where somebody is under, I, get, I guess the, I get that that hole isn't big enough for a person, but if they put the camera in the hole in the ground where the money is, looking up at the floorboards and someone opens the floorboards and we see their face from below the floor where the money is, I am going to rate that episode a zero. That is the lamest camera shot ever. It is so overused. I definitely don't want it in Bridgerton. And that's the first thing that came to mind when she put the money in the floor. It's like, oh no, 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 no. I know we're getting that camera shot. I know we're getting the camera shot. I know exactly how the money is going to be discovered and I hate it. So I really hope they don't do that. So I don't hate it. Over at the Bridgerton house, Mama Bridgerton just isn't getting it with Eloise and is still telling her, yeah, you'll be the diamond. Yeah, everything's going to be great. Yeah, the queen's going to love you the next time out, which isn't, I, I just think, I talked about it enough at the top. I just think she needs to stop trying to convince Eloise because she, she must know inside that it's not going to work and that at some point she's just going to have to let Eloise not be the diamond and not do this because Eloise just isn't going to do it. And Eloise has a good moment here where she talks about choice a little bit where, um, who was it? Somebody was going to do something and Eloise is like, yeah, at least you have the choice to do that. And I was like, yeah, go Eloise. That's awesome. Anthony uh, talks about how he's kind of only doing this for his duty, which again, I think he's kind of talking himself into that to kind of dehumanize the whole situation. So that's not the right word for it. So that he can kind of just pragmatically do this very quickly. And Again, I don't agree with the approach, but I'm glad it's at least consistent within the episode. Mama Bridgerton won't give him his ring or him her ring because she'll give it to him when he's in love with somebody. I Like, look, I get that Sienna's not a good match for society here and for a Viscount. I understand that. But can we not? Anthony was in love with Sienna. All right, like that was a thing. Are we just pretending that didn't exist because she wasn't an acceptable? She was fucking awesome, okay? I ride hard for Sienna on this podcast. She was great. She was amazing, all right? And Miss Bridgerton, Mrs. Bridgerton, just saying that Anthony was never in love is just not what happened. It's crazy. Give him the ring. Give him the ring. What are we waiting for? Also, in this whole situation, we know 
because he says it to her that he's not doing any of it for love. He's doing it for his duty, which is what she wanted him to do in the last season. So I'm just really confused about Mama Bridgerton's kind of motivations here. They're not really adding up to me. And I think Anthony, you know, I don't like Anthony that much, but he deserves that ring at this point. Come on, what are we doing here? I don't need to talk too much about it, but man, Anthony's dating kind of sequence montage was hilarious. There's so many good stuff here. The little interviews are hilarious, talking about all the kids and the one girl's like four kids, five kids, six kids, 95 kids, if you wish it, master. And it's like, okay, sure. That's great. That's awesome. Like, that was so funny to me. Uh, there, There's the one girl with the harp. Uh, and I don't know what she says about the harp. She says something cool about the harp. It's like, the harp is a symbol of patience or whatever. And I put in my notes, the harp slaps, I would marry this woman. Like, if I was doing these interviews and I was Anthony, let's just stop. Let's just stop right there. Someone who loves the harp. And also, the, the harp lady says she doesn't read. And Anthony looks depressed at that. It's like, okay, Anthony. I remember earlier the requirements were like childbearing hips and like a pleasant person with hips suitable for childbearing. All right, reading was not required at that point in time. And she plays the harp. The harp is awesome. That is sexy, okay? If I walk, if we match on Tinder, and we go on like a Tinder date or something, and we end up going to like a pub music night, and you're the surprise harp player for the band, that is maybe the most attractive thing that could happen in that situation, all right? Playing the harp is cool. If you're out there and you play the harp, know that I support you. And I think what you're doing is cool and kind of attractive. But Anthony doesn't because you don't read. So you know what? Boo, Anthony. Also, if you're listening to this podcast, and you're like, wait a minute. I didn't tune into this to find out what this weird host guy finds attractive. That's too bad. <laughs> you're 30 minutes into this podcast now. You might as well have finished it at this point. Mixed in here is also all of the scenes with Anthony's butt cheeks, which I'm just going to point out because I made the adult content warning about it. Anthony is still sleeping around. You know, his search, his search for a wife to fulfill his duty does not need to impede his lovemaking escapades. And you know what? Fair enough, Anthony. He, he's doing a little drinking, but he's, he's paying. I'm sure he's paying the right fee and all that. So uh, we're going to support Anthony in this endeavor. Sex work is work. And I know that wasn't the case in... Uh, the Regency era, but it is now, and I'm going to retroactively uh, support this endeavor. And so, you know what, Anthony, do what you got to do, my guy. Do what you got to do. We also have someone or one of the women that he is kind of courting or dating or interviewing or however you want to call it. And she says, <laughs> I can divide and multiply. And I, act, I audibly laughed out loud. There was a few times with Benedict this episode where I laughed out loud, but that was, that was a non-Benedict laugh from me. And that, that is truly special. That was hilarious. It's also all cut in with Anthony doing some actual work. And this work isn't explained. I still have no idea how he makes his money. But there's like that stressful countdown kind of thing. And he's scratching all the papers and whatnot. He's doing work kind of the way the Duke does work. You don't really know about it. You just kind of need to know that this is a job of some kind. So that when they have lots of money, you understand it. And I'm glad they at least showed it. Alas, we are here. We are about to meet Kate Sharma after the stressful events of the evening. Uh, Anthony is going to go. He didn't find a wife. There was the, the harp lady and the divide and multiply lady. Neither were suitable. Maybe if the harp player could divide and multiply, that would have been suitable, but it's not. So Anthony's got to go out in the morning for a ride, got to clear his head. But whoa, a, a stranger gallops by right in front of him. And I want to point out for all the Anthony haters, myself included, Anthony's first thing, his first question was, are you in trouble? That was his first thing. I'm just saying his first inquiry 
was to see if the woman was in trouble, which is a noble thing uh, to do. This kept giving me Legend of Zelda, Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time vibes. If you've ever played that video game, it's like an N64 game from the 90s, and just the way the horses were galloping around the scenery, it kind of looked like. It just gave me Legend of Zelda vibes, so I don't know. And they're chasing each other, and he's he's kind of catching up to her and all that. And then Kate looks and kind of smiles like she's enjoying this rage, which is, whoa, what am I saying? Which is cool, because it, it gives Kate a little bit of personality before you actually kind of meet her. Like, okay, she's going to come out in the morning. She's going to ride her horses by herself. She's independent. She kind of likes kind of trolling him a little bit and kind of pulling him out and having him chase her. That's kind of interesting to her. And then she jumps over this hedge. And in the episode, it was really impressive to Anthony. But I'm not sure. Is that impressive? I've seen a lot of horses in 2022 jump over a lot of things. And I don't know if this is normal for horses. I live in a place where equestrian is pretty big. And I've ridden a lot of horses in my time. Just in like my free time. Just around where I live. But I feel like a lot of non-professional horse riders are jumping over things in 2022 and i feel like anthony's in a con like everyone in that era seems to be a lot more accomplished than the people i've seen jumping over things so i don't actually know how impressive this jump over the hedge was but anthony seemed impressed by it and then kate in a true act of just i don't even know there's two moments in this episode where kate just gives up the game way too easily here lowers her hood so he can see her face and I don't know what she was thinking. Like, she knows she's going to these balls later, and she knows just by looking at how he's dressed that this must be someone of some kind of nobility. So I don't know what she's thinking. But if you're trying to hide, and you know you're not meant to be going out riding in the morning, and you know you need a chaperone, like, why? Why on earth are you lowering your hood? That's just silly. Absolutely silly. As these two are kind of meeting and riding side by side, we get a little bit of information about them. She's not married, or at least it doesn't see, they didn't actually confirm it, but they all but confirmed it. She's not married, so rip my predictions. It seems that my predictions for the season are going down in a heaping pile of shit, because I thought that Kate would be married, which is the reason that he needs to go for Edwina, which was the reason that him being with Kate was scandalous, but that does not appear to be correct. Anthony <laughs> Anthony gets mad when Kate insinuates that he lost this race, which I'm, I, I think it's funny that Anthony got instantly mad about it, and I don't have an opinion on that, but I am with Anthony in the sense that, look, this was not a race... I don't think. Like, they didn't agree on a finish line, and she had a big head start. He was kind of just reacting to her, and he mostly caught up to her. If anything, if they had started at the same space and, and finished at the same place, he would have overlapped her for sure, just based on the speed in the scene here. So I, I understand how Anthony feels hard done by by the insinuation that uh, he lost. Kate here also lies to Anthony, which is another bizarre, maybe three times this episode that it's kind of weird, another bizarre choice. This is a person who clearly knows where Mayfair is. I don't understand why you pick that lie. We need to pick better lies here. We need to make better lies, Miss Charmelle. If you're going to lie, we got to make them better. We got to think about them more. Some lie, mo the best lies have some element of the truth. You should at least pick a kind of similar direction or something else that's vaguely in the direction you're pointing. Like, we need to do better here. 
After Kate's victory in quotation marks lap over Anthony, we are at Lady Danbury's house where the Sharmas are arriving and Kate is late because she did go on that morning ride. When Kate enters, they do a little cut to the mud on her dress, which wasn't my favorite cut. I could have totally believed if Lady Danbury just looked at her funny and kind of knew what was going on. I would have believed that uh, of Lady Danbury, that she's sleuthing around, she understands what goes on. I didn't need the cut to the mud on her dress to indicate that there was a way for Lady Danbury to know she'd gone on the morning ride, but that's all right. They are here. They're arriving. Lady Danbury is providing them hospitality for the season. That's kind of what it seems like in this scene here, and we get a little bit of backstory on these characters. Lady Danbury already knows, oh, is it Mary Sharma? I'm just going to go Mama Sharma because that's a cool thing to say. Uh, they already know each other, so this is not a, a first introduction for them, but it seems like it is a first introduction for the daughters. We get a little bit here that Kate and Edwina might not quite be related, which we get, I think, confirmed later in this episode. Kate is 26 years old, which is me. I'm 26 years old, so it's cool that somebody kind of in this show is roughly around my age. I guess Anthony might be around my age. Which Bridgerton would be 26? I don't know. It's just cool to see people roughly your age in these types of shows, so that's fun. Edwina is going to be making her debut in the social season, and she plays, this is crazy, so Kate is obviously playing the role of the hyper-protective older sister. She's talking about how she is not going to be part of the season. She's not here to find a husband. She's only here to help Edwina. And, and between her and whoever Edwina knows, the pianoforte and the vi violin and the, the you know, kazoo and the, all the things, and she speaks 86 languages. I just put in my notes that so many things and instruments and dances, what the fuck is happening? And that's just how I felt. I don't know any of these dances, any of these instruments, or any of these languages, but I'm glad Edwina knows them, and that's sure, that is sure to be an impressive kind of thing in the social season. It seems like a lot of these people are educated in a slightly different way, and it seems like Edwina's going to have a nice kind of unique niche way to, to navigate the season, because she's talented at literally everything. We also start here to get the friction that happens in this episode between Kate and Lady Danbury. Here it's that, you know, Lady Danbury kind of knows something's up with the morning ride, and Kate kind of seems like she's ta she's the one in charge of Edwina's prospects, and that's what Lady Danbury enjoys doing, finding the prospects, vetting them, making sure there are suitable matches for Edwina, but Kate really feels like the person who's going to try and take on that role, so there's an obvious clash there uh, in how they're going to work together on that. They also, Kate makes a joke about, I don't even know if it's a joke, it just kind of seems like a feigned compliment, where she says, we have so much to learn from you, including the making of, or the preparation of this tea. And we learn later that Kate doesn't like the tea, which doesn't surprise me. But also, we <laughs> we have to assume that uh, Lady Danbury is not making the tea. We have to assume that her servants are making the tea, and she's just drinking the tea. And I kind of got the sense that Kate knew that, and that's what made the comment funny. I might be overthinking this, but I like trying to find these little bit of layers in the tension there. We have a really quick scene next with Penn and Eloise where they're going shopping, and I just have two quick things to say about these scenes, or three quick things. One, love that this friendship is still continuing. I, I think this is kind of one of the through lines that is just coming directly off the back of season one, and we need something from season one to continue. We need some familiar characters doing some familiar things, and this makes a lot of sense to me. I just have a few notes about this whole Lady Whistledown thing. Penelope, like, listen up. You're doing so good. You're doing so good at making sure no one knows your Lady Whistledown. I understand that the tension this season is going to be, who is Lady Whistledown, who's going to find her, if we could not buy all your quills with people around, or 
Just don't buy them one at a time. Let's get a bulk buy. Like, go buy yourself. Just the one afternoon you can go to the market by yourself. Bulk buy a few quills. Actually, that might not work either. Because then the, the person who sold the quills would know. Like, hey, Penelope Featherington bought 20 quills. Maybe I'm overthinking this anyway. In any case, don't be buying your quills around people who know you've bought a billion quills. Right? It's suspicious. It's weird. We know you're not writing this many letters. What else could you be writing? We need to figure that we just need to figure that out a little bit. I'm worried for Penelope here. She also seems to be in this episode and in this scene just a little too worried about what people think about Lady Whistledown. If she is going to remain anonymous, she can't really let kind of direct feedback and emotion get involved because it's going to give the game away here. Walking around with Eloise and like asking her so many questions about how she thinks about Lady Whistledown isn't isn't maybe that suspicious to Eloise on its own. But later in this episode, when Eloise says, "Oh man, I really wish Lady Whistledown would write this whole thing," and then Lady Whistledown the next morning writes that exact thing, kind of word for word, all of these kind of context clues together should tip off Eloise. Like Eloise should already know based on this episode that Penelope's Lady Whistledown. So I'm just worried here. That Penelope is not doing a good enough job with the sleuthing around her friends to stay anonymous as Lady Whistledown. We are back at the Featheringtons again and things are going oh so well. They're only eating potatoes, <laughs> which is not ideal. They only have one staff member as well. She's, she's, well. I don't even know what a scullery maid is, but I remember a scullery maid being part of her positions here. So things are not going well for the, the Featheringtons. They talk about how the new Lord Featherington is going to come in and that he's old and that he's crotchety and all that and he sucks and whatever, but he'll probably pay the dowry, so that's nice. And it turns out he will pay the dowry, so that's cool. It also also seems like the Lord Featherington they think is coming is the dad of the Lord Featherington that actually comes and that dad has died and they're just not aware of it so maybe they do have the right of the Lord Featherington they think is arriving anyways things are not going well and they are kind of waiting for him to arrive and, and provide but Miss Featherington Mrs. Featherington I need to get my kind of prefixes correct uh, they keep or she keeps saying or giving advice to the other Featheringtons about whatever it is. And I keep putting in my notes, look, things are not going well for you. You are at an all-time low in terms of, you know, goodwill to pull from with regards to advice. Can we can we stop giving, not that the, it has nothing to do with the advice. I want to be clear, the advice is not any better or any worse than it would be otherwise, right? However... You know, if you are going to give advice, you need to come across as a trusted source of that advice. And as things are rapidly plummeting around you, being the sage kind of wizened person with all of this good life advice becomes a harder and harder and harder prospect. So I just, I wonder why Lady Featherington isn't toning it down just a little bit to account for all of the things going poorly at the moment. Heading back to Lady Danbury's house. I guess Lady Danbury's house is also where the ball is. So this is all kind of the same place for the rest of the episode. And we get a little scene with the Sharma sisters together. Kate and Edwina. There's a lot of this I really, really loved. Edwina feeling nervous to go on her kind of debut is not unique to Edwina. I bet you this happens to everyone. But it is super cool to see that even somebody with all of these languages and all of these instruments and all this preparation and knows all of these dances, someone who is kind of hyper-qualified to be going out and doing this, that they're still nervous about it, I think is is very cool. I like these human moments. I like when they 
can make the characters in this kind of fun Regency show feel just like real people. And that, that really did it for me. I really kind of vibed with what Edwina was kind of going through in this scene. I believe this is where Kate also says something about them not being kind of biologically related. They're not being uh, her mother's child by birth. And Edwina, that might be in later with Lady Danbury. But anyway, we start getting some hints here of a little family scandal that's going on. And there's going to be some, some, some things we have to navigate here with the Sharma. So that starts piquing my interest for the rest of the episode and the rest of the season. Uh, Edwina is aware of this morning horse ride. This must be something that Kate does all the time. Edwina seemed at least... At least vague, somewhere between vaguely aware of it to definitely aware of it. And she says, are you, sir, are you sure you weren't seen? And Kate says, yes, I'm certain. And I put in my notes, yes, I'm certain, says the person chased down by another wealthy person with loads of contacts and people he could tell. <laughs> like, what? What are you? I get, maybe I get that you're just lying for your sister in this moment because the situation's not about you and you're getting her ready for the ball. But again... Can we pick some better lies? Like, Kate is not a good liar. I don't know if this is a thing from the books. I don't know if this is just a thing they're doing for the show. I, I'm starting to get the sense that Kate is not exactly skilled in the form of lying or subterfuge or trickery or anything like that. She is, though, without a doubt, at least in this scene and for most of this episode, a really good older sister. As an older sibling looking out for Edwina, she does a fantastic job, and I like that that kind of got started in this scene here. All right, everybody, we are back at a ball, the first soiree of the season at Lady Danbury's house. If you are on the Patreon and you're taking a look at my show notes, I'm going to have to speed through a lot of these show notes just so this episode of the podcast is not twice as long as the episode of Bridgerton. But let's start at the top here. They do the whole modern song classical cover thing that they did from season one. I could not tell you which modern song this was, unfortunately. I was able to pick them all out in season one, which was just lucky. But this one I couldn't quite pick out, but I am happy that they are continuing to kind of do that Bridgerton tradition of having modern songs with classical covers. I think that's just super cool. There's a lot of tension here between uh, Lady Danbury and Kate still kind of building those. I believe this is the point where there are different people kind of walking around the ballroom and Kate is saying like, hey, what about this person? And what about that person? And Lady Danbury is saying like, no, no, no. I have our prospects well in hand, Kate. I've researched this person flaunts his mist mistresses and all that. So we still have a lot of tension there, which I'm really liking that we're going to have the tension between Kate and Anthony, but also between Kate and Lady Danbury. I think that's quite fun. The Queen is there, and <laughs> the Queen does this awesome thing where she she can't, she has to have the best kind of ball in Soiree herself. So no matter how good of a time she's having, she has to she has to say something like, Well, we all know this this soiree is fantastic, but it's not gonna be as good as mine next week. And then Lady Danbury has to do this like, oh, don't worry, I would never think to compare them. And it's just this weird form of formality or ritual or whatever that they do. Again, you'd think this is the Queen's only job. You'd think there's nothing else the Queen of England has to worry about other than these soirees and the diamonds and the social season and all that. But hey, whatever. Maybe one day when I'm in charge of the monarchy in a country, maybe I can do this all the time and I don't have to worry about anything else. There's more family scandal here as well. The queen kind of takes a look at Mama Sharma and says something like, oh, I'm glad you had fun wherever you were. If only you'd let your queen know before you left. Kind of coming across like a jilted lover. We learn later, or maybe now, some point in this episode... We learned that Mama Sharma was 
the uh, incomparable of the season was the queen's diamond and so she might be a little bit jilted that she decided to uh, one of her diamonds decided to marry a commoner and move to india that doesn't seem like the, a thing the queen would enjoy that much so it makes sense from a character perspective that the queen is a little bit grumpy with the sharmas here Lady Danbury also has this awesome line reading, again, just milking every single word that she gets to say in this episode, where she says, oh, I do love a challenge. Just <laughs> such a good line reading there. Eloise arrives at the ball. The Bridgertons are here. Uh, Benedict has the funniest. She says she feels like a cooped up barn animal or something, and Benedict goes, like, moo. <laughs> it's so good. It's so funny and saves her from a dance. Benedict is the hero here, just the best big brother, you know, makes, makes Eloise and the audience just cackle with laughter and then kind of like oh i think we need to go to the punch table or something and saves eloise from all the people coming to dance with her which was awesome uh, there are at least you know so what happens next is uh, mama bridgerton says like hey this is the time this is the part from the trailer the the viscount is looking to find a wife and when, uh, in the group of people that come up to him i counted at least five people who looked roughly 26 years old it was a big deal earlier when kate was 26 so i decided like hey i'm gonna actually take a look here they're, they're mostly kind of 18 ish year olds 18 19 however i i picked out at least five that i thought looked kind of like they were 26 we then learn more about the scandal with the Sharmas. The, the thing was Mama Sharma kind of fell in love with a, a commoner and moved to India. And, uh, you know, the part of doing this is I already have watched the whole episode when I record the podcast, so I kind of knew that when I was taking my notes. However, the first time through, I was a little bit disappointed in this. Uh, not because I love that for Mama Sharma. Like, oh man, I put in my notes like, oh man, this scandal was just a nice person falling in love, which is great for the nice people following uh, falling in love. But... I'm trying to like find an emotional investment in this scandal a little bit. And I was like, when I heard that there was like a little bit of a scandal going on, I was like rubbing my hands together like, oh, what could this scandal be? What have they done? What strange and terrible thing have the Sharmas done that they're going to have to redo or rework their reputation? I was expecting something worse than this. Uh, for the characters in the show and the setting of the show, this is a big scandal. So I'm not taking that away from the show. This didn't take away from my enjoyment. In my head, I just convinced myself it was going to be a little more juicy. But hey, I am pro-love, man. I am pro, you know, finding that person in your life that you love. And, you know, whether they're, whether they're a Clark, whether they live in India, whether whatever the situation is, man, find your love and be with them forever. I think that's great. I think that's great for you, the audience. I think that's great for everyone. Hey, don't, don't let... Don't let silly kind of uh, Bridgerton-like parameters and controls and expe expectations and things get in the way of your love, okay? You go, Mama Sharma. You go. We're, we're rooting for you. We're, we're cheering for you on this one. Rather hilariously, Sneeze and Cheese is back. I would have put this in my notes earlier had I recognized that the, 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 the Finch person that the um, Featheringtons were talking about where they didn't have the dowry was also Sneeze and Cheese. It took me a minute for my, <laughs> my brain to connect the two. So when I saw Sneeze and Cheese and everything, uh, it was just like it clicked in this scene. So this is where it clicked back to me that this was Sneeze and Cheese from season one. So he's back and I am I'm very happy about that. Uh, Sneeze and Cheese's parents come to ask Miss Featherington about the dowry and Miss Mrs. Featherington does a little bit of a kind of head fake here pretending to be super sad about and I quote her dear dear very dead husband <laughs> and what I like about that line is 
this show, if you, I don't know if you ever watched The Great on Amazon Prime. The Great is like way past this show in terms of kind of making fun of itself, way past Bridgerton. But I like these moments where Bridgerton does take time to make fun of themselves. This is not a line that a, a person would say, and this line is only in here so that we know immediately that she's kind of pretending, but we would already know that because she didn't love her husband anyway. And so I just like this, my dear, dear, very dead husband as something a no, no reasonable person would say. But for some reason in this scene, it just kind of works they're just kind of making fun of themselves in this whole situation and i really like when shows don't take themselves too seriously and have these little line readings in here so that line uh was awesome and then sneeze and cheese's parents are are, are not very uh, perceptive and they just immediately like oh yeah just find us when you're more settled and they leave which you know come on come on you know you know you're not getting this dowry however it does seem that they're all aware that a new lord featherington is coming and so maybe it's just a matter of waiting for it after Sneeze and Cheese's parents kind of leave the scene, we cut back to Kate, who is gonna... <laughs> this She comes across as so smart. And then what she does is standing next to everyone, she looks at Anthony in the face and goes, I know that gentleman. It's like, Kate, Kate, how... Come on. And then Lady Danbury immediately is like, no, you don't. I haven't even introduced you to him. And then she goes, oh, yes, I must be mistaken. Like... We, there's, this, this episode has, char the character, I'm glad this is happening in episode one. There are just some things we got to work through here. Kate needs to work on her ability to just straight up lie is not very good. We need to work on her straight up lying ability. But also, some thoughts can stay in the head. You can look at Anthony and in your head go, ah, I know that gentleman. You don't have to say that out loud. Come on, Kate. Lady Danbury then proceeds to introduce the Sharmas, and I think this is interesting here, because the, she starts to change up how she does it. She introduces Kate as simply Ms. Sharma, and, and Edwina as Ms. Edwina Sharma, and I don't know if this is kind of like a jape or kind of poking fun at Kate, like, fine, you want to be a jerk? You want to kind of make all the rules? I'm not even going to give you a name. Or, and I think this is probably the second one, is this an indication of who is available? Right, who is looking for a husband? This is Ms. Sharma, but she's not available. You don't need to know her name. This is Ms. Edwina Sharma, and she is available, so you should know her name. And I'm just wondering what is what here, but it was it was kind of strange enough that I did write it down in my notes. There's some more fun stuff with Kate and Lady Danbury about dance etiquette and when it's appropriate to accept a dance. And Lady Danbury kind of hilariously hits the ground with her pole on her march out of the frame, which was awesome. We move over to Penn and Eloise. Uh, Penelope is dressed up like a sunflower, I guess, which is interesting. Eloise is also really, really clever with this dance card thing. That's what I would have done. If I was Eloise, I would have 100% written down you know a bunch of fake names on my dance card and then i wouldn't have had to dance with anybody i could hang out with penelope the whole time this is a good strategy from eloise i don't think it's gonna i think her mom's gonna notice i think mama bridgerton's gonna be aware but otherwise i think this is a, a fun strategy we then cut back to kate who's kind of looking around at anthony it's the one you know this is the guy that was in the horse in the morning ride and that was interesting so she's kind of looking around at anthony and his dance partners suck and i put in my nose get in there what are we doing you're there you know how to dance you're looking at anthony you know his dance partner's stuck they're stepping on his toes he kind of cuts the dance off halfway this is your chance kate shoot your shot instead she goes with the classic follow and eavesdrop strategy so he's going to hang out with the lads and Oh boy. Oh boy, his chat with the lads does not go well if you are a, a Kate or someone who uh, who is uh, agreeing with Kate. 
here. His friends are saying that all he needs to do is get someone wed, bed, and bred so he can move on to more pleasurable pursuits, which I think is the overall strategy of, of these guys. It's not a very eloquent one or a very kind one, but it seems to be the general kind of dating strategy of all of these kind of noblemen uh, in England in these social seasons. Anthony then talks to his friends about his many requirements for a wife, which have changed from his requirements earlier in the episode. So his his requirements are ever-evolving. It's starting to seem like there isn't going to be anybody good enough. And those requirements are something like genteel manners, a pleasant face, he's still got the hips for birthing and all of that stuff. And so his lads go to the, his friends go to the smoke room. He's kind of walking away from the situation. Kate has been listening the whole time. <laughs> And then Kate kicks a bucket or something. I don't know, man. Kate's just on another level this episode. Uh, she's giving me kind of uh, Tonks vibes from Harry Potter in the books where she like there's just something a little clumsy about her in this episode just with the lying not going very well and uh, just you know saying the first thing that comes to her head when she looks at Anthony and kicking the bucket here. There's just a lot of these small things are not going well for Kate. But Kate is here to kind of... I don't know what the word is here. Scold Anthony is kind of the word. Kind of, yeah, it's kind of like scolding. Scold Anthony for his many requirements of a wife. And I, I, this is a complicated situation. And I don't agree with Anthony's position as someone living in 2022. But I think I leave the scene here rooting for Anthony more than I'm rooting for Kate. This scene also makes perfect sense for the characters involved, but I think I think what's weird for me about the Kate part of this is that this is like what Anthony just said out loud and what those guys were talking about is going to be how 99% of all the other guys think about this whole situation going into the social season. So she would have to be like so if she's come all the way from, I think it's India, it gets confirmed. She's come all the way from India to find Edwina a husband in the social season. She talks later about how Edwina's going to find love. I just, I just don't know what she was expecting of the men in England, right? Because I don't agree with their position on it, uh, but they're all having the same position. And their position is just what society expects of them at this moment in time. So it is the overwhelmingly shared position of most of the people kind of on our screen and in our show. Not not everyone here is all for the love matches and stuff. So I don't really know what Kate was expecting. But listening to Anthony speak about his requirements for a wife this way should not surprise her. In fact, they should have been expected. What should have surprised her is if he had said something different like if he had said oh i'm just looking for a love match i really want someone i can you know live my whole life happy with that should have thrown her off guard but this shouldn't have thrown her off guard so much to the point where she's just going to immediately scold him for it because then i imagine her evening is just going around to every single person and scolding them the same way which i don't i just don't i'm not quite getting what she was expecting here with anthony as well kate doesn't have the Kate doesn't have the backstory of season one where you've seen him love Sienna. So you know this is a person capable of love. You know this is a person who doesn't really believe all these things, right? Who's kind of talking himself into this just so he can kind of get through it, which again is not, I talked about it at the top, is not fully acceptable either. But it's a little more complicated than just 
uh, you know, this guy is walking around all grumpy with as many unfair requirements uh, for a wife. What she says, though, is she doesn't like any man who just views women as, you know, cattle or whatever, whatever it is she says. And that is obviously a position we all agree with. The listeners of this podcast, me, Kate has the right position here in that people should be doing this for love and people should be, you know, not viewing other people as just simply... Um, like it's simply women who will give them many many children and many many heirs that that is what should be happening but that is simply what is not happening and i think i think going all in on anthony for this was a little bit just a little too hard because i think kate on the whole is right she is correct but i i do i just the scene just didn't quite click for me because i expect i just expected to not like Anthony and to just root 100% for Kate. And I find myself being much more complex, like having much more complex feelings on it. Because I'm not fully rooting for Anthony either, right? Anthony, Anthony can do better than this and should be doing better than this and, and, and isn't. And that's not good, right? And also his lo- kind of locker room talk defense is completely unacceptable. He was about to say before he gets cut off, like none of that was meant for you. And that is completely unacceptable. So that is not a good defense for anything ever. It's like, well, I was just talking to the bros, man. I didn't mean it. Like that is not a good defense for any of your positions that you have. But I find it hard to be rooting against Anthony in this scene. When I saw the promo for the show, I really thought that I'd be rooting fully for Kate here, and I just am not, and I'm not sure why. There's just something about the way she went about this where I was like, ah, I don't know what you were expecting or what you thought you were getting into, and maybe it's just that she lacks some context that I don't lack, but there was something just a little bit off about this Uh, but what i did put in my notes is all of these people are living in the gray and i love it when people live in the gray i love it when characters aren't just fully good or fully bad there's the people are complex they have complex feelings there are reasons why anthony's doing what he's doing there are reasons why kate is reacting the way she's reacting and i I, overall i want to be clear i love this scene i think it's fantastic i'm just for the purpose of analysis you know there's two these two characters are kind of at loggerheads with each other, and I'm trying to figure out whose side I'm on, and I'm having a really difficult time with it. So we'll we'll keep we'll keep going through. We'll keep navigating. Obviously, this is only episode one, and some sparks are gonna fly between these two eventually. So we'll we'll keep working on it. But just at this point, this is gonna be the scene where most of you email me about. I can already tell, but I'm just kind of working through it still. Kate leaves this encounter with Anthony and heads back inside, collects Edwina, and then goes to um, Lady Danbury, who is talking to Miss Bridgerton, and then says, just says that they're leaving and that Mama Sharma is already in the carriage. And Lady Danbury tries to introduce her, and she just gives this, like, look over, says charmed, and then looks back. And that is such a good line reading, man. Such a good line reading. The acting in this episode was top-notch. You know, sometimes a little bit over the top in a way that suits Bridgerton, but what a good line reading. Lady Danbury is just not having any of it. But once they leave, she says, I always have something to say again, again, milking every single word on the script she was given. Just absolutely incredible. What's nice about this, you know, is it continues that tension and it's different types of tension. Now it's not tension about dance etiquette or anything. Now it's tension about like they want to leave and she doesn't want them to leave. And that's a fun little thing that's going on. So I'm, I'm really interested in this this tete-a-tete between Kate and Lady Denbury. 
We get another cut to more of the Lady Whistledown kind of how is this whole thing working, which I really enjoyed this episode. I, again, Pen, Penelope's going to get, get, like, she's going to give herself away here. She sneaks out only, like, 30 seconds later. She she goes, like, good night, everyone, closes the door. Everyone is still awake because they say good night back. And then immediately opens her door again and just, like, someone's going to go to the kitchen for something and going to catch you on the way out. you got to wait a little bit longer until everyone else is asleep. But that the whole thing with the Irish accent is still really working for me she has that huge smile as she leaves the shop after she kind of haggles the guy on the price or the speed or whatever and that was absolutely incredible that smile that kind of smirk like yeah i did it i got this out everything is going well i i really like that and anthony also anthony also burns the pamphlet for one of sienna's shows and i i just wanted to say that i'm I'm really sad that Anthony burned Sienna, the thing for Sienna's show. It is working really well for his character, though, because, again, he's talking himself into this robot emotion. Like, he's talking himself... At, like, he is convincing himself he is a person without emotion. He does not need to love. He just needs a, a wife that can have kids that will be pleasant to be around. And that's all he wants. And part of that is burning these pamphlets. And I, I, I don't like it. I love Sienna so, so much. But from a character point of view, I, I get it. Just really sad for Anthony, though. Over at the Bridgerton house, there's a lot of stuff going on, and it's all very, very funny. Someone who is calling on Eloise just really likes marbles, which was laugh-out-loud funny. I enjoyed that very, very much. Uh, that was awesome. Madame Delacroix is back, which is interesting for Benedict. Uh, I'm not surprised that she's back. Obviously, this is the season where she's making all the dresses for everyone. I am a little bit surprised that she's being rather cold towards Benedict. However, there has been, I want to say, 10 months in between the last season and this one, so we'll see how that goes. That felt a little bit weird uh benedict <laughs> benedict is is just living his dream though uh and still making fun of anthony still making fun of eloise just being absolutely incredible and, and saying that anthony is going to offend every woman of the ton which is just awesome so benedict brushing off his his kind of weird delacroix encounter very very quickly to make fun of anthony which i really enjoyed Anthony and Miss Br Mrs. Bridgerton, Mama Bridgerton, have a conversation that I, again, I'm rooting for Anthony in this one. The show's doing a good job getting me to root for Anthony a little bit. Uh, she's talking about all these lovely young ladies that he could marry, and then he says, like, well, what, like, these people, none of them can read. One of them thought Napoleon fought for the Spanish, which, <laughs> which is, again, laugh out loud funny. And then he says, this is the duty I must fulfill. And then she says, you will end up alone. Which... Like he had, like he liked Sienna. If y'all had just let him be with Sienna, things would have been okay. But you didn't. You didn't let him go with the person he loved, right? Like it's duty and all that, and so he can't do that. So now he has to start this whole process again. And it's it is kind of rich saying you will end up alone from the person who had kind of the awesome husband and the love match, right? Like I just find that it's. I'm not sure what I was expecting from Mama Bridgerton, but I just find her to be a little bit. Not insincere, her intentions are in the right place, but just, again, not not at all kind of aware of the context of any of her children, right? Like, I just don't get how she... I don't understand how this line makes sense from her point of view. You will end up alone. It's like, like yeah, he had Sienna, and you didn't like that, and so you were talking to him, he did this whole... She did this whole thing last season about duty and whatever, and now it's... It's kind of like, it's kind of the reverse. She's like, oh, you need to go and find somebody. And it, I don't understand it. I don't, I just don't understand it. It's fine. It works for the characters. And it's not something that's bothering me about the show. But I just find it to be a little bit, 
just not yeah not insincere but a little bit just uh, there's a huge lack of awareness and self-awareness going on with these conversations that mama bridgerton is having with her children in this one there's also a funny moment with hyacinth here that i want to call out because we don't get a lot of hyacinth in this episode but eventually we're gonna have to like hyacinth because she will have a season i'm assuming and she says she kind of starts prodding um eloise by saying she'd be a lovely diamond and kind of prompting everyone else in the room to have an opinion which is very very funny and eloise kind of gives her the whole i despise you which is just awesome go hyacinth uh kate is also proving to be a little bit difficult there's some people calling on edwina which is interesting that they're calling on her together i didn't really understand that but they on the way out said oh edwina's lovely but if kate would only get out of the way so not only is kate a little bit of a problem for lady danbury but she's also a huge problem in, in the eyes of lady danbury in this whole kind of courtship system they have going on here it'll be interesting to see how edwina feels about it later over at the Featheringtons, this, this is kind of cut together like it's all happening at the same time. <laughs> one of the sisters, one of the Featherington sisters comes in to bully Penelope and says the word putrefied instead of petrified, which was, which was again, laugh out loud funny. This episode is great. I know rating it an 8.05 or whatever is way above most of the episodes from last season. I want to be clear. I really liked this episode of TV. I normally do not like premiere episodes, but this episode was just fantastic. They, she sleuths around and like finds all these clues that Penelope is writing a whole bunch. And again, none of it's quite clicking in because she thinks she's writing all these letters to Colin Bridgerton. And then Mama Featherington comes in with more random advice like, stop writing all these letters lest you look like a commoner or whatever. And again, it's just like, come on, Lady Featherington. Things are not exactly... Maybe if you had written more letters or read more books or something, maybe things would be going better. I did write in my notes, though, at least there is still fire for... Or there is still wood for the fire because... Um, Miss Featherington is trying to sell all the books and stuff here. And I thought this is where it was going to get found out. That she was going to find some books or whatever and some pamphlets were going to fall out. But no, we're good. She's just looking to sell the books. Penelope says that she doesn't think books are work worth anything. Lady Featherington then goes, yeah, okay. But like, Lady Featherington, Penelope doesn't... Like, how would Penelope know what what the old books would be worth? Surely there's someone that comes and appraises these things. Anyways, let I digress. Let's keep chugging along here. Back at Lady Danbury's house, I have one of my favorite scenes in the episode, Lady Danbury and Kate. Lady Danbury knows, of course she knows, Kate went on a morning uh, ride. It wasn't the, the mud cut uh, to the bit of her dress made it rather obvious that Lady Danbury was going to find out. But then she has yet another awesome line reading, very few attempt to outwit me and even fewer succeed. And I get that vibe from Lady Danbury. I really, I don't think she's lying here. I think she is telling the truth. I understand that Lady Danbury feels a little betrayed here because Kate goes on to talk about her situation and how her family ran out of money and they used the last of the money for the trip over to England and Lady Danbury's house and that she is truly grateful for the hospitality but the Sheffields have laid down these requirements for a match and, and they kind of tricked Lady Danbury a little bit. However, I put in my notes, I understand that Lady Danbury feels tricked here but the Sharmas are kind of just playing the game. The whole social season is kind of like a big game. It's a big game of chess. There's pieces moving around. You're trying to impress this person and stay away from this person and dance with that person and propose to this person and be this person's chaperone. And like every, even the order in which the balls are and the soirees and the outfits and the dresses, all of these things 
are it's part of like a big kind of chess game that's going on and I, I get that Lady Danbury says, I don't want to be a pawn in someone else's game, but everyone's a pawn in everyone else's game, if that's making a sense. And so I do feel for Lady Danbury here, but I'm going to root for Kate on this one. I am going to root for Kate on this one. She's just playing the game. She's doing what she needs to do to survive, to set her sister up for a life of uh, ideally happiness, but of success. And if that means having to trick Lady Danbury, who you've never met before until this, then I think that's a fair price to pay if you're kind of logically mapping this out from Kate's point of view. And also, just because Kate is a bad liar and not a very stealthy, sleuthy person does not mean she's not an awesome big sister. Kate really goes in here and talks about all of the things that she and her mother have kind of helped do to make sure that Edwina, A, would never know of their struggles, would be kind of shielded from all the bad things in the world, which is just a very motherly slash big sisterly kind of thing to do or root for or try to execute or try to achieve which I really enjoyed, but that included all of the dancing and all of the languages and all of the reading and all of that was 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 a setup to help protect Edwina. And then when Kate explains why she's here and why she's so tough to find a match, I have two thoughts on it. One is I totally get it because she is definitely right. Based on what we've seen of uh, based on what we've seen of Edwina, Edwina would definitely 100% just say yes to the nicest first person that would come up to her in order to meet the conditions of this match and make sure her family was well set up. She absolutely would. I also wanted to say, though, that Kate is working with... Kate is working within very strict parameters here for a match. And Edwina doesn't know what the parameters are. And the match needs to be a, a, an, an English nobleman. That's the match we need to try and get to here. And so what I find interesting is, I'm assuming all of the gentlemen at these balls and soirees are English noblemen. That's why they came to England. So there is a little bit of choice here. There's dozens, right? However, when you're working with such strict parameters, it might be worth it. To just, instead of just yelling at Anthony, I guess she didn't yell, that's not fair. Instead of just, you know, scolding Anthony right away, maybe we should be a little more diplomatic, right? Like, you're working within such strict parameters. People like Anthony are the most eligible bachelors of their season. We saw in season one, the, the Duke was a capital R rake as well. Right, and that worked out well. Just a little bit of interrogation, a little bit of questioning, a little bit of softening up would go a long way because you don't have that big of a selection to choose from. And if you're looking to find an English nobleman, but also somebody that Edwina will truly fall in love with, then I think we need to try a little bit of a more diplomatic approach, which is where I think Lady Danbury would be very helpful. I think these two can make a really awesome team. Kate is the very strict kind of ride or die for her sister kind of yes or no person who's going to be very strict. And then Lady Danbury is the more the more of the diplomat, right? Like okay, okay, okay. Like let's let's soften things up a bit. Let's see how things go. Let's do a little bit of talking and weaving and and bobbing and whatever. Like what she does to the queen uh, later to get Edwina to be the the diamond of the season. That type of thing. That's a very Lady Danbury thing to do. So I think these guys could make an awesome team. Um but I I just want to say I know I'm taking shots at Kate in this episode for some of the things she's doing. However, it doesn't mean everything. And Kate has a wonderful scene here and it really helps 
kind of flush out Kate's motivations. And even if I still think she's kind of going about it probably the wrong way, I think the show wants you to think that because there's still seven episodes and people need to go on an arc. And so Kate's going to have to change somehow. So her kind of starting as the very strict sister who's kind of making things an absolute nightmare is it makes a little bit of sense to me. And so we'll see where things go. But I just really like this scene for Kate. But also in recording this podcast, I just really like this scene because it gives me a chance to really like Kate and, and her character instead of being a little more critical in the other scenes. It is time for ball number two. I do wonder when going to balls is going to be boring for me, but it is not yet because two balls and two balls in the back half of one episode should be too many. And it is not. I had a lot of fun at this one. Lady Danbury immediately goes to the queen and says like, hey, yo, there's this Edwina Sharma person. You should make her the diamond of the season. The queen is on to the game. Like, why do I feel like my strings are being pulled? And it's because they are. So good, good perception. The queen is on her game this evening. And Lady Danbury says like, hey, you wanted to shake up your the season. Here is your chance. And I... Is it though? Because Edwina's obviously the best option. Now we didn't get a chance to see everybody else, so maybe I just don't have any other reference and Edwina's the only kind of person who's debuting for this season that I've met that isn't Eloise, but it, it also seems like she's the best option. So yes, it would shake up the season because of the, the thing with the Sharmas and that not being fully kind of smoothed over yet, but also she's the best option. So this is a two for one here if the queen picks her. Eloise goes to be presented in front of the queen and she tries her best to make the queen not like her, but she makes a joke about emeralds that 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 works with the queen because the queen has a, her favorite necklace is emeralds or something. And I put emerald joke backfiring on Eloise. Did anyone have that on their Bridgerton bingo card? I just think that was really funny. Benedict talks to Anthony and again, Benedict on another level this season says, if Eloise is named as the diamond, uh, who are you going to marry? And that again made me laugh out loud it seems that it seems that for sure that anthony's strategy of just picking the diamond is, is saving him a lot of time and effort it also allows him to continue to kind of just robot his way through this like the queen is going to pick the best person i'm just going to marry the best person i don't have to think about it that's going to work for me based on this one kind of conversation that eloise had with the queen cressida decides that she's going to Draco Malfoy her way in there and say like, hey, my group of friends is cooler than your group of friends. And Eloise says, I would rather die. And <laughs> that was such a good line reading. That made me laugh out loud. This episode of TV was awesome. Genuinely a fantastic episode. That was so good. And also, just, just so we're all clear, Cressida is an asshole. And now here it is, everybody, my favorite scene in the entire episode, Penelope and Eloise taking a break from the ball, going out into the kind of the flower garden out back and kind of just chatting with each other. And this was just beautiful. What I like about Eloise's character is that it's kind of a two dimensional character in the sense that she she is in scene after scene after scene where she is continuously being pushed into the social season kind of structure. Right, and not much changes from scene to scene on that front. But how she reacts to it is as a very human character, like as a as a as an analog for so many kind of young ladies in this situation who really do believe what Eloise believes. Right, not everyone is Daphne. Not everyone enjoys this. Not everyone wants to do this. And I'm assuming a good percentage of the people doing this are like Eloise. So it's good to get 
it's good to get Eloise a, a chance to download a little bit of how she's feeling about all this, just so we can kind of see that like there's probably a really high percentage of people that also feel the same. It's also great to get Penelope just being a good friend, right? We know she's Lady, Lady Whistledown. We know she has her own kind of family drama going on, but just having her here in this moment being a good friend is really nice. Eloise and Penelope talk briefly kind of about their competing problems and both of them are really emotional and the way that this scene is acted is also rather emotional. Eloise talks about how everyone compares her to Daphne, everyone has these grand dreams and expectations for her, and every single time she walks into a room she's disappointing people. And she says it like something like, have you ever just disappointed people or have you ever walked into a room knowing every time you do, you're constantly disappointing people? And that was really emotional. And I, it, it's not something I've ever felt or that you listening have maybe ever felt. But in this moment, it felt like, oh man, it just pulls on your heartstrings. And Penelope kind of has the opposite problem. And she says, but nobody notices me at all. And that's, oh man, just absolutely like take a knife and stab it in my heart. I really like this scene. What I, I also enjoyed too, that they have kind of opposite problems or they're, I don't even want to call them problems, but they're, they have opposite things that are, they have opposite things that they are, have strong feelings about, maybe is a good way to put it. And yet they can bond over those things instead of being at odds with one another, which I think is a real kind of adult thing to do that while... While the, their specific issues are different, the way it makes them feel is very similar and they can bond over that. So I just like that this stuff with the Bridgertons and the Featheringtons and the family drama and stuff isn't getting in the way of this friendship, which was awesome. There's another kind of giving away the Whistledown game moment here, though, which I'm not a big fan of. I just, Penelope needs to be a little more careful, needs to reel it in a little bit and stop kind of looking for the gratification of Lady Whistledown. I think this is where... Eloise kind of says though, hey, what if Lady Whistledown wrote a more progressive paper? What if Lady Whistledown wrote about how picking the diamond is silly? And that, that to me is a mistake to print that right away because that's going to give away. Eloise, wait, I told Penelope that yesterday. And then the next morning at 8 a.m., the pamphlet said the exact same thing. But mostly this scene was just absolutely incredible. Back inside the ball, the queen is ready to name a diamond. Hilariously in the build-up to this, Lady Featherington kind of looks at her daughter's like, yeah, we got this. <laughs> Which, spoiler alert, they did not have this. It is Edwina. The queen took Lady Danbury's advice. We're going to spice up the social season. Edwina is the diamond. A bunch of guys walk up to her. Anthony Bridgerton walks up to her, and all the other guys are like, ah, fuck. Like, what are we going to... This guy is richer and cooler and has a higher title, and so he's going to get to dance with her. Ah. And so the other guy's like, why the fuck is this? guy so annoying however anthony gets to dance with edwina edwina nails the interview man anthony goes forgive my directness what are your thoughts about children which again i'm i'm rooting for Anth i'm not rooting okay i need to stop saying that. i'm not rooting for anthony i think his approach is bad it's not a good approach however within his character this approach makes a lot of sense and he continues like hey no human stuff i don't want to talk to you about anything human we're just gonna how many children do you want Cool, perfect. Like, he just gets right to the point, which I think makes a lot of sense for his character. She, she says, I do love to read, and I put... <laughs> after, after the problems with the other... Uh, women not knowing how to read earlier or not knowing how to look at a map i put <laughs> anthony looks like he's at full climax i think i think that was as close 
to being turned like just turned on by words as Anthony was ever going to get. He has this look on his face like, oh my God, that might have been the most attractive thing ever said to me, which is just so funny. Um, so Edwina is absolutely killing it. And they have this really nice moment between them where they can bond just slightly, just for half a second, about how both their fathers died when they were younger. Um, and that is very fascinating that kind of through all this, they can have that kind of thing in common. And I start to think like, man, that would be the, a good emotional anchor point for a relationship. They've both been through this experience that's super not ideal, that no one wants to go through. And they can kind of start a relationship by maybe bonding over that experience, which it's a weird experience to bond over, but it's something they have in common aside from it. It's the mistake Anthony makes here right or not the mistake because Edwina kind of brought it up but um, I guess Anthony asked the question Edwina just answered it however Anthony got too human Anthony got a little too human he was gonna go right away and ask about the the dowry and the marriage and everything but the answer to the question it, it lets Edwina be a person right not just not just the diamond not just someone who can have lots of kids right but allows allows her to have a little bit more humanity. And I think that's going to break Anthony down. I think that was the mistake is in his rush to find the father to kind of sort out this marriage. Uh, he, he, he made an error in the sense that I don't think he was expecting that answer. And now Edwina is, is a real person who he has to talk to and, and, and have things that they have in common, which I think is better overall. But I think it, uh, Anthony will probably view that as a, as a mistake if he were to look back on all of this. And then <laughs> Kate comes back and Anthony, Anthony has this moment where he looks at Kate that is just truly funny. Kate whisks Edwina away and then goes like, you're never allowed to see that man again, which is just Kate. Come on. Like, can we just talk? Can we just talk about it? Like, let's be a little more diplomatic here, but okay. Kate's going to whisk Edwina off and Anthony is going to wallow at some point wishing he wasn't overheard for sure. And finally, to end off the episode, we are back at the Featheringtons. So we're at the Featheringtons, and new Lord Featherington has arrived. He is younger and cooler, and he's already paid the dowry. We were just expecting something different. And what I like is one of the, or two of the sisters, like, I was expecting someone older. I was expecting someone uglier. And this is a great bit of writing, because we as the audience were too. We kept being told that he was older and uglier and meaner, and he just doesn't seem that way. And the, the new Lord Featherington says that his father had died so I think the characters were expecting a different person completely and we got this new Lord Featherington which is awesome he looks I put he looks kind of like an older Michael Sarah he, he seems like he has his stuff together he's a little bit quick to move Lady Featherington's stuff out of her lodgings which was funny and Lady Featherington was like wait a second what are you talking about but it seems like he has his stuff together and I'm excited to see where this goes I wonder if it will provide any complications though for uh, Penelope and her lady Whistledown endeavors. I wonder if this guy's going to be into the reading and the writing and everything. I suppose I overused the word finally earlier, or kind of put it in the wrong spot. To end the episode, we actually have Lady Whistledown uh, printing the pamphlet that Eloise wanted printed about how everything should be different and how is naming the Diamond of the Season kind of silly, which I think if Lady Whistledown can use her kind of grip on the nation in terms of the gossip magazine or the gossip article... Uh, category of, of media. If she can take that and change things for the better, I'm all for that. I just think maybe wait a week. You know what I mean? Eloise tells you she wants this printed. Maybe wait a week to make it a little less obvious that it was you who were, was kind of in charge of printing this or has some input into Lady Whistledown. There's also like, 
maybe maybe giving away the game isn't that simple because maybe Eloise thinks you just like know who Lady Whistledown is and doesn't actually think you are Lady Whistledown. Anyways, you know the Queen is not going to like this challenge. I'm excited to see where this goes. Uh, the the Queen kind of looking at that and, and being invited to to be challenged here over the way she conducts the social season is going to be interesting we saw in the trailer too that the queen is going to send like a goon squad out to find out who lady whistledown is so i like how they are setting this up here in this kind of final scene of the episode all right though i think that's it that's all i've been recording for an hour and 45 minutes it'll be interesting to see how long this episode comes out it'll be longer than normal which i like i hope you guys enjoy these longer deep dives that was season two episode one of bridgerton entitled capital r rake please go and head to the Facebook group, to Twitter, to Gmail, to let me know what you thought of the episode. Head over to Patreon to go and just hang out with the extra content and the early access and the show notes and all of that stuff if you would like to do that. Uh, make sure to leave those reviews and subscribe anywhere you are listening to this podcast. I sincerely appreciate your your listenership, your, your comments, your everything. Thank you so much. I, I really genuinely appreciate it. I can't wait to read your emails and your Facebook posts about this episode. We will be back for next episode, which was is episode two of season two. I do not know what it's called. I do not have the chapter titles in front of me, but we will be back shortly for that episode. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you in the next one.